when was the last time you felt lonely? What about, what about other people in your lives? Your mum, your dad, if they're still around, your grandparents, if they're still around. Do you think, do you think they're lonely? I'm sure you encourage the older people in your life to stay active, eat well, go for a walk, make, oh, it's not pizza night every night. But what if I told you that loneliness has a higher negative impact on your health outcomes than nearly every other big name disease or health issue you might already be talking to the older people in your life about? On this week's podcast, I'm talking with Andrew Dowling. Andrew's an expert in social connections and loneliness. And what he's got to say about loneliness and how for some of us who, I don't know, might still be finding safety in our COVID lockdown hermit caves, not talking about myself much at all, how those things might be negatively affecting our health and well-being in ways that comprehend. What he's got to say about that is really important. I'm glad that I can bring it to you. But first, I have to play some ads because this podcast is free to listen to. It's not free to make. So we're going to play some ads. There is an ad-free version of this show, which I'll be grateful to tell you about later on. But depending on where you're listening and how you're listening, you're either going to hear some ads or you're going to hear Andrew say something interesting. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Loneliness has an impact on your health, a higher impact on your life expectancy than exercise or obesity or alcohol or medications, anything like that, both loneliness and a sense of uh, social support in your network. So fast forward a few years and suddenly everyone's nodding their head because like, everyone, there's a much greater understanding of the research showing us what really happens to us. It increases you know, risk of heart disease. They track it at the cellular level, like the, the biomarkers for immunity and the ability to defend disease are greater when we have a greater sense of social connections and not lonely. That was Andrew Dowling, founder and CEO of Stitch, which is the world's leading social community for older adults. I'm Washi Ginsberg. This is Better Than Yesterday.
G'day, welcome to Better Than Yesterday. Thanks for being here. Uh, this is a tri-weekly podcast that is here to just try to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. Something you hear on this show and every show is going to do just that, whether it be an idea or a concept or a conversation, something will make you go, ah, and I don't know, just adjust the way you think about something or do something and that makes your day-to-day better than yesterday. That's all I've been trying to do since the start of this show and I've been here three times a week. Since 2013, I've been making this show every single week and there's hundreds of other episodes to get stuck into and every one of those episodes does just that by having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts in their field and I'm super proud of uh, the work that me and the people who are making this show have been doing over this new decade. Good Lord. Um, me, I'm Osher Ginsberg. I am a uh, podcaster, a TV host. I'm an author. I'm a hospital ward walker. I'm a crutches ambulator. I'm an assisted living device purchaser. I'm an antibiotic taker. I'm the host to a number of medical implants at this point. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm a husband. And I'm here three times a week. And thank you for being a part of this. Yeah, I'm, I'm quick update. I'm still in hospital. And so far, so great. A different path to the path that I thought I would be on, but it is an amazing path to be on. I've just got to understand and help you understand that. Like I did think I'd be out of hospital a few days back, but I'm still here. But the fact that I'm still here and how I'm feeling about still being here, the way my body's feeling compared to how it has been feeling for the last couple of years, it's, I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I've got to tell you. So far, my outcomes are pretty freaking incredible, and I'm very, very grateful to all the very clever, kind, compassionate, smart, hardworking healthcare professionals who are bending over backwards to help me, not the least of which is is Audrey, my wife, who only just the other day went our bedroom with a reciprocating saw and a crowbar to, I don't know, I guess, move things permanently out of the way so I could get about on crutches when I got home and get in and out of bed all right and all that kind of thing. She's an amazing woman. I absolutely adore her. I FaceTime call her in the morning. What are you doing? Why are you wearing a mask? I thought you'd just been to the uh, shops or something. And anyway, later in the day, she answered my FaceTime call and she's in our room. They're like, oh, so I see you've uh, removed that. <laughs> so her and her mum were having a great time with the power tools. It was pretty awesome. Uh, she's amazing. I love it to pieces. Now, look, considering I am in hospital still and I've been here longer than I'd planned to be, I wasn't able to record a new podcast this week. I had a few, actually two lined up um, this week. So I was supposed to be home earlier. So what I've done is I've gone, because I, I like to keep a few ahead, but we were planning for this. We we're just going to make it because there was a few things, masks and stuff like that. And we were just going to make it with our safety episodes and then you know, I was going to record two this week and then be still one ahead. But because now I've been in hospital for longer, I've had to slot a safety round into the chamber and, and, and fire off one from uh, the, the safety net that we keep for moments just like this. If you recall, not long ago, a couple of months back, I aired an episode called the, I think it was called the Great Lost John Safran interview from 2020 or something like that. Basically, there was an episode that had appeared out of the past on an SD card. And, like, it was in the bottom of a bag or something. I, I knew I'd recorded the episode, but I'd lost it somewhere. And there's this John Safran episode. It's like, oh, that's fucking right. It's the lost SD card of Asgard. Here it is. But that SD card had a bunch of episodes on it. I'm like, fuck yeah. And I've been kind of I'm like, well, you know what I've got now? I'll just save these because I'd, I've been doing the show since 2013 and I try to make the episodes as evergreen as I can. I mean, there were a bunch around the election in Australia earlier in 2022 that were quite relevant, but I do try to make the episodes as relevant as I can so that if you go back and listen to something from 2013, you'll hear something that is relevant to you today. And, and today's episode 
is no different. I'm really grateful that I can bring it to you today. Andrew Dowling is an internationally recognized social entrepreneur and expert in loneliness. He's basically spent the last decade working to address the challenges of an aging population, which if you saw the latest Australian census data, that is something we are definitely facing. And there are public health system impacts of having an, uh, and, and economic impacts of having an, an aging population. So it's important that we have an idea of what we're talking about and you know consider this stuff carefully. Andrew is quite a successful human being. He's been featured all over the place, Time Magazine, The New Yorker, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, NPR. Andrew is currently the uh, founder and CEO of Stitch, which is the world's leading social community for older adults. And he's also the founder of the non-profit charity wipeoutloneliness.org does what it says on the box, wipeoutloneliness.org. Andrew and I, we did speak a little while back, but what he's got to say about how loneliness can affect our health, particularly those of us whose social connections get smaller and smaller as they get older, nothing wrong with that, that's what happens. It's well worth listening to. It's well worth, because I completely underestimated how dangerous and devastating uh, the effects of loneliness were on, on our health until I started working at SANE Australia and we started talking about that a lot. So to have this conversation in public, because I was having that conversation as a part of board meetings, so to be able to have this conversation in public with you, I'm really grateful for because I don't think we as a community understand enough how devastating loneliness can be. Now, speaking of which, there is talk about self-harm in this episode. It is important that we do talk about self-harm because loneliness, as you'll hear, is a dangerous thing to have in your life. And I'm glad that he and I got the chance to speak about it because that is what's at stake if things get out of hand. So it's it's worth it to understand the jeopardy of allowing things like this to, to continue unabated and why it's important to make it a part of your life to continue to nourish and seek out new social connection. We'll get to it. It all makes sense. Enjoy this conversation with Andrew Dowling. How are you today, Andrew? Uh, well, I would like to say great. I've just got back from a sneaky holiday to Lord Howe Island. Uh, and so the transition back to work has been a bit challenging. <laughs> <laughs> I get the sense, uh, Andrew, that your interest in loneliness and what loneliness does to our community wasn't the, f- the thing that drove you in high school. This seems to be that you've come upon this uh, <laughs> later in life. When you were in high school, what was it? What was lined up? Well, yeah, I mean, we're going through this with our kids, right? Like, you know, choose something that interests you and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, like most people my age, we made career choices for pretty dumb reasons. Like you were good at something and you just did it. I, I chose engineering. I had no idea what it was. But actually, I was always had this really overactive imagination when I was a kid. So I wanted to be a film director. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a whatever. So when I was younger, I I did a bunch of stuff at the same time. It was didn't do the social connection stuff at all, but I came to that later. But I, th- I, I think in hindsight, I was always looking for something, looking for something that had some meaning. And and when I stumbled onto my journey was more around not so much loneliness first, but about social enterprise and, you know, creating businesses that have a positive social impact. And I remember that time, it was about a bit over 10 years ago, that was when I went, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for all that time. Because everything kind of fell into place, all the, all the things I've been looking for. So you you studied engineering at university? Yeah, so I studied engineering uh, back a long time ago and I, I tried to quit about halfway through because I realized I, I just, I wasn't really a born engineer in the sense of like, I just loved making stuff. I just, you know, I, I, I found it interesting, but my, actually most subjects are interesting once you get to know them. 
I think. So I tried to quit to go and then get into films because I discovered films. Moving down to Sydney, I was like, wow, look at these art house films and everything, uh, which I grew up in country, South Australia and then um, New South Wales. So I hadn't had any of that. Uh, but my mum convinced me to at least finish my course. Uh, so I finished engineering and then kind of went traveling and, and stumbled around a few things for quite a while, but still had a professional career at the same time. So working in big enterprises, building software and kind of boring stuff. Oh, not at um, all. Not at all. But you, <laughs> you, you were able to, you know, work using your degree for a while, were you? Yeah. Well, so for a lot longer than I'd intended, I, I worked for about 17 years in big corporates. So in, with a proper job, like I was a director of technology at a big American firm called Honeywell. But all along, I was trying to do stuff on the side. So, you know, I wrote books. I, I did make films in the end for a little while. You know, I was just doing stuff to try to get that blend of, you know, there's got to be more to life than just a job. The idea of being a career kind of guy just was never my thing. But I kept finding myself doing it because it paid the bills while I was, um, you know, having a family. Uh, actually, I was working on it. So I had, my first two books were published, but then I was writing a novel when um, my first son was born. And that was the moment when I thought, man, I'm being so selfish. I should be looking after him, you know, financially and everything rather than working as a writer because I knew by then I was never going to make a lot of money. Uh, so I went back to work full time. But then later, I'm talking a bit much about myself, but anyway, but later, about in my 40s, I, I then did an MBA and came across this idea of social enterprise. And that's right. where things kind of came full circle, where I was able to do a lot of the creative stuff as well as the engineering, yeah. as well as the business, as well as the, yeah. you know, we did charity work. So it kind of all comes together. It's okay to talk about yourself, man, because I think yeah. it's always important. I really want people to have the normalization of the conversation around the thing that you choose in uni or the path that you're on doesn't have to stay that way and that it's it's okay to change course and it's okay to you know trust yourself and trust the experience yeah. that you've had doing the thing you've done will serve you when you do change course. It's not oh, like you're going, I'm just going to throw everything I learned out the window and start totally fresh. Agree. No, not at all. No, I'm using everything. And we've seen this in COVID. You know, there's there's people who are getting opportunities in other industries they never would have considered. But what do you know? They have yeah. all these transferable skills. Yep. And if more people knew that, I feel people would, they knew that knowledge inside yourself. I could cope. I can use the stuff I've got as valuable wherever I go. People might feel less afraid to change and not feel like they're trapped, you know? Yeah, look, I'm first son just doing the HSC and choosing what to do. I mean, we've, I've been seeing that story for a long time. I was more referring to the fact I'm, I'm used to talking about what we do, not about uh, me. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's like, oh, hang on. Which is, I get it. I mean, I, and I, do, I understand the personal connection because often you don't care about things until you know a bit more about the people involved, but, uh, but it's a bit of an unfamiliar thing. But no, totally, that, that idea of, and I say to our kids, everything, as long as you throw yourself into it, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, get the most out of what it is you do. At some point, all those things, there'll, there'll be reason why you did them all. And they'll, you know, you'll get to a point where it's all, all kind of, the reason becomes clear, you know, what it is that you've, you've done in the past you know, I used to think that the writing I did and all the creative stuff, I did a bunch of visual design. It was a real waste for um, my serious corporate career. But actually doing the startup, it was hugely helpful. And a whole range of things like that, you go, wow, I'm so glad I did that, you know. So I, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I once heard that Robin, was who said it? It was in the, we watched a Dave Chappelle special where he got given the Mark Twain Award for comedy. And he said, Robin Williams 
told him once that stand-up comedy is the only job where you get to use everything you've ever known. Right. Now, far be it for me to disagree with Robin Williams, but I'd like to think <laughs> that if more people understood that you can use everything you've ever learned yeah. in everything you go into, you would feel less, you know, oh, I can't do this job because I don't have this training. Nah, you can figure it out. You're a smart person. If you know how to, you know, buy yeah. a ticket and get on a bus and get off a bus, you figured out probably... The, the general level of complexity of most systems in the world, you're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, I think the problem is less about people, some people restrict themselves, but it's more that the system restricts them. You know, mm. I remember in my career, the further you would go in a technical path, the more specialized you get. And then the more you got expected to just do that one thing versus you say you want to do a little bit of marketing or a little bit of this and throw it in. Because, you know, most people actually have a range of skills rather than just one skill. Mm. But businesses, job applications, like the whole system is kind of geared to tell you, oh, no, 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 no. We only want, we only want people who can do this thing. And you go, but that's not how people really are. And most people actually get demoted, I, I find, you know, yeah. when I used to have really large teams. We had enormous retention because we actually, we were large enough to be able to create these flexible careers for people to say, look, traditionally your job involves doing A, B and C, but you only like A and C, but over here there's a D that you like and I've got someone over here who doesn't like D. You know, if you just moved around and then everyone went, oh, that's great. I, I can have a much more rewarding job by making it more fit to me. So that's what, yeah, we always say that to the kids. You, know, you just throw yourself into it. Think about flexibility is the key. Like if you are flexible and give yourself that flexibility, you'll have a much greater chance of having that worth life happiness and balance. Man, that's such great advice. And it's not a conversation that gets said enough, I think. It's not something we don't hear enough, particularly from someone who's who's lived it. Tell me about how you shifted from wanting to be a part of a, a big corporate, you know, thing to no, I want to do something that changes people's lives. I want to change how their quality of life is. How did you choose what it was that you were going to focus on? Well, there's this idea with what they teach you in, in management school. Like it's very weird learning about entrepreneurship when the idea of is just, hey, if you're an entrepreneur, you don't do it in books, you just go and do it. But there is some merit in they've looked at, you know, how businesses have worked and grown. And one of the ideas is don't overplan it. You have to discover things by engaging with the world. They call it emergent strategy. So you can't just sit in a room and plan out the next 10 years of your life if you're doing something that involves high risk and high uncertainty. Because it, by definition, it's highly uncertain. And, and if you knew it, if you could plan it out, everyone else would be planning it too. So what you've got to do is just take these small steps. You just got to get out there and try something and see what happens. And I mean, you look at your career, like you wouldn't have been able to predict your career when you started, but you threw yourself into things and then one thing would lead to another and bang, bang, bang. So it's a bit like that from a business perspective. So I looked at a range, I originally was thinking about doing something in clean energy because that was more where my background had been. But I stumbled across an excerpt in The Economist about the aging population and the, just the tremendously devastating impact it was going to have on economies and on lives unless we did something about it. And I just thought, well, I don't know much about this, but there's clearly a need in there. That's where I'm going to go. And so I actually started a, another organization before the, the one I'm running, which was, it was a simple tablet computer for scenes, like people have been really left behind by technology. And it was challenging. We, we did okay. We won some innovation awards and, and so on, but we never really, really took off because doing hardware is, is really expensive and, and, and it's a very small part of the population, but it exposed me to this idea of isolation and loneliness and the impact we had on people's lives. 
And in these communities where we're in, like we're in um, these retirement living communities in the US, which are very, very large, and it was the younger people in their 50s and 60s who are also saying to me, like, this thing's fine, man. It's great you're doing what you're doing, but can you introduce me to people? Because I'm really lonely. And it really stunned me. So that that was the kind of the journey. I didn't plan on getting into loneliness and isolation from the start, but you just keep learning about what you're doing and you get exposed to problems that people face and and suddenly it just kind of becomes clear that you go, oh, well, here's something that we, I really think we can make a difference and there's nothing out there that's really built this way. So let's come up with something. I used to think about it, you know, early on when I first got my license, you know, I would get frustrated at older drivers. And I remember someone telling me, going, mate, their reaction times are getting longer and longer, but the speed limit stays the same. So as far as they're concerned, the world's getting faster and faster. faster. (laughs) So it's really scary being out on the road. That's why people drive, older people can tend to drive quite reluctantly and unsuredly. Think that, but for how we communicate, connect, pay bills, everything, suddenly it's gone so fast. And if you came up in pens and pencils, if you came up with a passbook when you went to your bank, now just doing your stuff every day would be just terrifying. But you hit upon a really important thing because now the community aspect of life has also moved behind this wall of these devices. So if you don't know how to use these devices, good luck, Sonny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was our original, actually, our original thesis was people who are being left behind. But it turns out it's, it's remarkable how many of them, when we say them, it's actually a spectrum. The community we run now is 50 and up. And people kept saying, yeah, these old people, they don't know how to do things. I go, well, I'm over 50 and I've worked in technology since I was like 13. So it's, there is a spread. But now, you know, they, they, everyone almost has to have some level of capability to do their banking and mm. so on. But what you touched on was the social side. So we found that helping people with the logistics of, of how to make a device simple and so on, that was a number one, a challenging task because there's so much that people that are, you know, a smartphone has to be able to do for someone today. That was the obvious thing. Like what's a constraint that old, older people face? And it was like, oh, what about the technology? But a much uh, the iceberg underneath the surface was actually what's really going on in a lot of their lives, in all of our lives, is this sense of uh, disconnection and dislocation. And the younger generations have replaced it with the devices. But the older ones amongst us recognize that that's not real connection. Like, like liking stuff on Instagram doesn't actually give you the connection you need. And what happens with getting older is your social circles are inevitably shrinking over time unless you're doing something to combat it, to actually make those new connections and do something new, which is different when you're young. When you're young, you know, school comes along and and work comes along and all that sort of stuff that kind of throw you into these environments where you make new friends. But past, you know, my age and beyond, unless you're actively doing something, they don't keep on happening anymore and you gradually lose people. You know, you just relocate or or COVID comes along or, you know, whatever. And so we found that that was a much deeper, more, I'm going to say insidious. Insidious is not the right word, but it was a more challenging, it was having a bigger impact on people's lives than the, oh, can I use my phone for online banking? Or, you know, that mm. was like, okay, they're coping with that, but the impact on the isolation part, there was nothing there to help. So that's kind of where we, we end up going, well, most social media is built around how do I drive eyeballs and engagement and stuff like that. And we've seen what that results in. And we say, well, what happens if you build something that was more designed around enriching people's lives? Is, is that possible? Being alone, playing with your phone might not feel like you're lonely because you've got something mm. to do and you might feel you're engaged. 
But when we talk about loneliness, let's define that. When we talk about loneliness, what are we talking about? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of, to, not to get too technical, there's a couple of measures that the research generally uses. It's like there's, a, there's two things at play. One is social isolation, which is an objective measure of how isolated someone is based on, you know, their level of support, whether it's social connections, but also other services. So there's social isolation. And then loneliness is the subjective feeling of how I feel. And traditionally, they've been left alone by researchers because it's like, well, you know, it's, it seemed like a really soft thing. A lot of psychologists would look at the more acute um, mental disorders around whether it's depression, even depression has only in the last 10 years become more of a focus for us, I think, as a society. But loneliness was left behind, partially because it wasn't seen as serious, but partially because it's quite hard to judge. You can be lonely in a room full of people, or you can be feeling quite connected just on your own. I mean, I was on Lord Howe Island. I hardly saw anyone. I felt very at peace. But if you go to a party and you feel like you just don't fit in, you can feel really lonely. So it's a it's a very subjective experience. And so, you know, when we do surveys of people that, to judge it, there's some generally well-accepted ways to measure it around questions around certain aspects of their lives. But they're, they're the two things. You're trying to figure out how do people feel about things. And I think COVID, one benefit of COVID is, is it's raised that topic to a little bit more of a, a conversation we're all having because everyone went, oh my God, life without connections actually is really bad. So that's been good on, in a sense. But what I see, I see this again and again, is it's the tools that people are not given when they're younger. Well, I'll give you one example. A lot of our, the men in, our, in the, the stiff community are um, particularly that older generation. So we've got people in the 50s and 60s, but the 70s and 80s, that generation of men, they weren't given roles in life that were designed around making new social connections, talking about their feelings, talking about feeling lonely and isolated, like stuff like that. It's just it's a foreign concept because they were kind of taught not to. You're, you were taught you just don't do that. And so the women tend to be, you know, they've had a lifetime of organizing, you know, the social engagement for their family or the canteen or a lot of the stuff that they've done in that generation has prepared them well for reaching out to people in a new environment. But a lot of the men actually don't even have a language with which to talk about it to each other, to even to themselves to say, well, okay, the reason I'm feeling like this actually is there's a reason for it and I need to be taking the steps to reaching out and, and doing that sort of stuff. And so I often think that our kids get all this stuff at school about you know, maths and English, all that sort of stuff uh, is important, but they don't actually get taught anything about really what it's like to resolve conflict, about mental health, like all that sort of, and, and you're seeing a, a, a shift to do that more now, but but I would love to see a lot more of that. How do you start to talk to the older people in your life about their social circles? How do you even bring it up about, no, actually, this is good for your health. It's not just good to get you out under my feet. It's good for your health. Like in a general sense, you've touched on something really good there, which is I often get asked, in fact, the kids have a real laugh because they go, oh, Andrew's one of Australia's expert, a loneliness expert. And I go, dad, it makes you sound like you're a really lonely guy. And we actually, we found that when you tell people about the negative impact of loneliness, they tend to switch off because no one really wants to hear bad news. But you flip it around and talk about how much better your life could be if you were f- surrounded by a supporting sense of community of connections and activities and all that sort of stuff that, that enriches your life. And if you can turn it into a positive, which is what you just did, they're more likely to go, oh, okay, um, tell me more. So our community is very much built with this idea of community first because there are plenty of sites where you can go and look at some people's profiles and send them a message and try to, whether it's online dating or so on, but so many of them are, they're built for a reason and that reason is to make 
money because it's trying to almost promise you something that's tantalizingly not real and people will pay for that. Whereas what we tried to build with Stitch was, okay, what do people really need? What, what actually does push the needle when it comes to improvements in your well-being and connections? And a lot of that is actually built around this idea of community. So when people feel part of something, then they're more likely to feel like there's a safety net for them and they don't feel isolated. But they're also more likely when you have that conversation with your, your mum. So I've, I've been to a bunch of, like we run these events and new members events. Sometimes I'll come along and say, Andrew, can I get a photo with you? Just so I can tell my daughter, I can prove I actually came along to one of these things because she's been nagging me and said, she, she, if I don't go to one, I'm going to sign you up for an online dating site and blah, blah, blah. But what we've found is that those conversations, I mean, they're, they're funny conversations to have, but they, when you say to your mum, you should go and find a man, for example, then it's like, it's not a positive conversation to have. But when you say, look, there's this community I think would be great for you because you're so passionate about, you know, these interests and it might be whatever it is, like if they're interested in ballet or whatever, you, they need to join something that actually makes them feel they're connected and part of something. Uh, and those conversations tend to be a little bit more successful than just saying, hey, please get out of my house. I, I don't need you. Mm. I know when my mum was still alive, she started to go with the um, the Leukemia Foundation would do walks every Sunday and she just she would just come home floating on air. She just yeah. loved just, oh, wow, there's people and interaction. Yeah. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Yeah, and those activities, I mean, I think for me, this is, I stumbled onto it myself personally. I, I had my own challenges over, over the years. But uh, about five years ago, a member of my, very close member of my family had tried to take their own life. Uh, and it was a very, very tough time. I found the Stitch community, I, I actually, rather than kind of hiding it, I just, I talked about it because I needed to. Like, I, I just couldn't function with people expecting that I was just normal when it was just everything was not normal at the time. And what blew me away was I got back from the community in spades, people's own experiences and, you know, sharing their stories. And it, and it, it, you talked about being lifted up. That really got me through, like and, and enormously so. Mm. And the community piece of Stitch at that point was, was really new. We'd only just started to work on it, but it really shone a light for me. I'm like, wow, this stuff it's essential. Like it's, it's a lifesaver in, in so many ways. So I'm not kind of not surprised your mum had that feeling because doing an activity is often a gateway. You're doing a shared activity. So it's easier to then start talking about stuff and you break down the barriers. Whereas, you know, you go on a one-on-one dinner date and it's kind of like doing a job interview. It's a very artificial environment, which I think for someone who's a bit isolated, we, we just don't think that's a healthy way to start. Uh, and quite confronting and very difficult to snap out of pattern behavior when you're yeah. in that situation because that's your instant instant reaction so you've you've done a lot of work in in startups you've done a lot of work in, in with you know kind of mentoring young people bringing their companies to light and you know many people would be like well in, in my example about why you want to start a dating show that involves roses we already have the bachelor like <laughs> that's right. why start a social network we already have facebook why what is it and how are you going to possibly go up against this behemoth? Why did you decide the best way to get to do this job, to get this job done, to solve this problem is to create a social network that is not Facebook? Why was that the solution that you found? Uh, partially because in our, in our view, we're never competing with Facebook. So Facebook is almost like the opposite of Stitch. Facebook is designed for you to connect to people you already know. 
and to stay in touch to a certain extent, but also to be a vehicle for advertising and, and you know, stay in touch with brands you like, all that kind of superficial stuff. But it's, it's really about the connections that are already exist to a certain extent. It's not really built around, well, how do I find my community? How do I build my tribe? How do I, where, where am I in life? I've suddenly found myself kind of, I, I didn't expect it. It came out of the blue completely. In fact, that we see, hear that again and again. People just go, just never thought this would happen to me. And for whatever reason, I've, I've discovered I'm lonely. It's not built for that. And people will join and they'll say, oh, this looks like an interesting social media site. And we'll say, look, no, we're not a social media site. I mean, yes, we use social media. Yes, we, everything uses technology, but we're the fabric of Stitch is the community. So I, I prefer to think of us as competing with the fact that so many of our traditional communities have broken down over the last 20 years. And we're just trying to say, well, okay, most things we've found, technology has found a way to supplant the old way of doing things. But when it comes to human interaction, it hasn't at all. In fact, it's been shown, I don't know, you're familiar with, um, there's a book called The War on Kindness. It's by a, a researcher out of Stanford. And there's this measure of empathy. They've, they've been measuring for about 50 years. They ask a set of questions of people and it's for the first 30 or 35 years, it was steady. It didn't, like each generation, it was basically your level of empathy for other people. But the moment that social media started to kick in, globally, we've seen this decrease in levels of empathy. And the studies, when you dig deeper into it, about how people feel empathy for someone through a computer screen versus in real life, it, I mean, it matches up with our lived experience. It's not the same. And so like Facebook and those guys can do what, what they're doing. I'm a huge unfan. We have kind of, different goals and that's it's like well that's not fulfilling the need that a lot of people have we're never going to be a billion dollar company but that's because we're not trying to we're trying to actually help people um at the core of stitch is a not-for-profit charity because there's some people that just don't even you know you could never rely on building a business on out of um getting those members to pay but they need the help so right. yeah so I, I don't think there's a question i've probably ever asked myself about or how we compete with facebook yeah it's more about how do we compete with, you know, people's just inertia that I, I'm isolated and lonely, but I don't know what to do and I'm not even looking. I'm just stuck. Like how do we how do we overcome that? Why as a community in Australia where we have a, a public health system, I, I used to live in America, the ways that people deal with health, health problems over there are very, very different because they're very mm. much geared towards what can the health insurance companies pay for. Um, but here yeah. in Australia we have a public health system where we as a community keep the public health system going. So how much that public health system costs us is a factor. Mm. Why should we as a community be concerned about loneliness and the rate of loneliness growing in our community? Everyone understands in, in this space that loneliness has an impact on your health, has an impact on your life expectancy, higher impact on your life expectancy than exercise or obesity or alcohol or medications, anything like that. So um, both loneliness and a sense of uh, social support in your network. So when I first started doing Stitch, I'd, I'd give these pictures to a room and talk about, you know, you're more likely to die. It's like if you're lonely and you're over 60, you have a 64% greater chance of d developing dementia in the next 12 months, for example. And then someone who, who's got good social connections, 45% more likely to die. Like all these numbers. And you'd see people going, really? Loneliness? Are you sure? Fast forward a few years and suddenly everyone's nodding their head because everyone, there's a much greater understanding of the research showing us 
what really happens to us. It increases you know, risk of heart disease. They track it at the cellular level, like the, the biomarkers for immunity and the ability to defend disease are greater when we have a greater sense of social connections and not lonely. Why is that? How, how Do our bodies just react differently? Do they send out different hormonal signals when we're yes, engaging with other people? Yeah, I mean, even down to the level of looking at someone's face on Zoom, if you see someone smiling, parts of your brain that get activated and release some of the um, chemical cocktail, you've got the feel-good stuff like serotonin and the endorphins and all that sort of stuff, even down to just seeing someone smile, whereas if you see them with sunglasses on, that won't happen. Like, it's amazing. The human body is, we've evolved to be machines designed to be connected to each other. Like, we just are. Just a moment away from Andrew Dowling to let you know that if you want an ad-free version of this show, you can get it. Patreon.com slash Osher, O-S-H-E-R is where you can find me. There's uh, ad-free episodes and there's also a bunch of video episodes that are uh, there. Andy Ma, my uh, fantastic editor, he and I found a way to finally figure out how to get them all up in a, in a way that works. We had a workflow problem on my end, not Andy's end, on my end. And we figured it out. So there's heaps of full video episodes up there right now. So there's different tiers. You can get ad-free episodes, audio, and then there's full video episodes next tier up from that. So they're all there for you if you want to go check them out. There's heaps of them. There's Taylor Hansen. There's Nats, what I reckon. There's, there's a bunch of really great stuff up there. Thank you also for the lovely feedback about DadPod. Loving the emails we're getting in about DadPod. Just fine. Just search D-A-D-P-O-D wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't heard it, it's a podcast by dads for dads who don't want to be shit dads. And um, I really love making it. And um, it's where I get to talk about, you know, parenting stuff and sometimes more fun stuff. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, super easy. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Osher Ginsburg. That's where you can find me. It's super easy. We'll be back with more from Andrew Dowling in just a moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People need to understand what actually happens to your body when you are lonely. And are you saying like loneliness can affect your immune response? For example, you're out, you know, shopping and you pick up, you probably wouldn't want to, uh, you know, you get like a common cold. You get your COVID yeah. test, they say it's just yeah. a cold. But are you saying that loneliness could affect how quickly you would get over that cold? Not just could affect, does affect. Like some of this takes a, a long time to get the data because they need to do it on large sample sizes, look at different age groups, all that sort of stuff. But both at a, a empirical large scale, you know, they, they look at the people who have come from a highly connected set 
of the community and, and what are the impact on healthcare costs and so on. But even down to some of the more small-scale studies to say, yes, it's affecting the, the parts of the brain that are actually firing when certain things happening in your life dictate your health response. So, you know, the best estimate they've came out with last year was it has the equivalent health impact of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, being lonely if you're over 60. And you think about smoking. Smoking has obviously caused lung cancer, but it has a whole lot of other detrimental effects to the body. Loneliness is one of those sorts of things that has it's not just like it's not just affecting just your heart it's affecting all sorts of stuff high blood pressure what then gets caught up with it is it's not just the loneliness itself having an impact but our behavior changes so we're more likely to drink more we're more likely to eat bad food stay at home take away like when you're out doing something people don't take care of themselves because they don't feel like they feel full full of despair so there's all these other behavioral changes that kick in there as well that in and of themselves are bad but they all cascade up into this kind of one big ball of just yuck. Yeah, a big ball of of yuck. And it sounds like it's a self-fulfilling thing that the worse you feel about yourself, the less you want to engage with other people. And yeah. it just goes around and around and around until eventually you never leave the house. And that's actually true of a lot of mental health issues. Like the worse it gets, then the worse it gets. Like it, it becomes a, a self-feeding sort of thing. When it comes to loneliness, people, there are some studies that show, you know, there's a part of the brain it, right at the, the base that's so kind of ancient from an evolutionary perspective good to do with the th sense of fear and threat and risk. And when they map out brain activities, when people are walking into a room for the first time of complete strangers and they feel they have to talk to people, the sense of anxiety that some people fear. And for some people, it's as high as soldiers being shot at in wartime, which makes no sense because our, our brain is just getting confused signals. So it's, it's just, it knows that social interaction is really important to us. And so it's kind of firing off all these signals because we have no threat anymore. We don't have, um, you know, back in, if it was lions in the jungle, losing your sense of tribe would have been as big a threat to your life as if you're outcast from the tribe, good luck. You, you're not going to survive. So from an evolutionary perspective, it's telling us, hey, danger, danger, danger. But actually, then it means people go, well, I've had so many people who'll turn up to an event and then see people and think, oh, maybe I'm, I'm not feeling, I chicken out and they have to come back another time. You know, it happens a lot. And that sense of the tools that we have to go, okay, I can walk into a room, I can meet people. It's like, the, what's the worst going to happen? You're not under th physically under threat, even though some people feel that way. And the flip side is, the worse you feel about it, the more you're likely you are not to do it. And then you're going to sit at home kind of, again, feeding this self-fulfilling prophecy that because you are lonely, then you're getting lonelier. So you mentioned before sense of tribe that would have been a, a, a deep ingrained evolutionary thing that exists within us to know if I'm with people, I'm safe, when I'm alone, I'm in danger. And if you're then alone, then bubbling in the back, you may not realise it, but you're in this heightened state of either adrenaline or, or something that's, that's pushing into your body that can't be good to sustain. Yeah, you're at risk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, the blood pressure, of course, the ongoing health effects of being in that state. Uh, it, we may just be sitting there watching infomercials. We may, <laughs> you know, but our body is going, wait, 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 wait. This is bad. This is bad. Yep. This is bad. Right. So, that is really, in that is really interesting. So, if you think about it, if you frame it as uh, the more I do this, the longer I can stay healthy, the longer yep. I can stay living independently, the longer I can stay mobile, active, being able to move around, get down on the floor with my grandkids. The, the more I do this, the longer I'm putting off the time where I can't do things. Yeah, life is better. And unlike exercise, 
actually going and having fun with someone, it, it's pretty easy. Like exercise is, oh man, I have to go and actually exercise. You know, whereas just go and have some fun with some people. It, it does wonders for you. Yeah, I'm just going for a walk. That's it. I'm just going yeah. for a walk with somebody. That's, That's right. it. I'm not exercising. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going for a walk. I haven't even got yeah. my exercise pants on. I'm it's just the going social for a walk. stuff. You it don't might be an hour's walk or you might have a long chat. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's still really important. Do you see um, we're very similar ages. Once, you know, in 20 years we'll be 70. Mm. Who knows what technology will exist by then? We'll probably be all in, you know, quantum computers and living in a world with no passwords. But um, do you think that this gap of not being able to use technology is just this kind of 20, 30-year space and then by the time my generation is 70, 80 years old, we'll be okay? Or do you think we'd, no. we just have to keep, every time something new comes out, learn how to use it? I don't think it's about the technology. I think, so I've got friends my generation and I, I'm blessed because of Stitch. Stitch has taught me a lot about my own mental state and my own need for people and how do I, like so many things. When I was younger, I thought, well, I've got my friends. Why do I need to, you know, I'd go to a party and I'd be, well, I just want to talk to the people. I know. I mean, why do I need to talk to these other people? I've got, I've got my friends and, you know, I'm happy to meet people, but I really don't, I don't want to have a new, I just wasn't going, taking an effort to make new good friendships because I, you know, I have those friends and I've discovered just how stupid that way of thinking is because nothing's forever. And actually it's really enriching to be making new friends. And, and so the last decade I've, I've lucky enough to have, a, have formed a couple of really, really t- close new friendships, best friends. But I have, I have friends my age who don't, still don't think that way. And, you know, they, I've got the mates they play golf with and they whatever. And that's at, at a certain point, you know, people relocate and they're going to be left kind of high and dry. And that's got nothing to do with technology. It's more around human behavior. So I'm hoping that the message gets out there better. We're able to educate people around this idea that you have to be thinking about every time you go to somewhere and you're meeting someone new, there's a potential new someone in your life that actually could be quite enriching. It doesn't, it's never going to happen every single time, but you have to be more open to being vulnerable, being all that. So all the stuff that we talk about that's good for mental health in general, it's also good for this forming connections. And so I think it's more about that. The technology piece is always going to be there. There's always going to be new things that people, I mean, our kids will laugh at my wife saying, you know, you can't, I mean, or even me on Instagram, because I don't, I mean, I, I, I'm really not on social media. I don't use it. And they think that's a, a sign that I'm just not tech savvy. And at a certain point, I guess I am. I mean, I'm not uh, driven by my Snapchat streaks and my, uh, you know, like all that sort of stuff. But at a certain point in 20 years time, who knows, there might be something that I just go, it's not so much that I can't use the technology, but I've never had the desire to do it. Uh, and I think that's true for a lot of our older members of the population. You know, they can actually use Zoom when they, when they want to do it. We've seen that again and again. They just never had a reason to do it before. Right. Right. It's interesting. You talked earlier about men in their 70s and 80s now who are never given the you know, the skill set or the tool set to talk about feelings or have an empathic, vulnerable connection with another human. And that's kind of really, that return on that investment now is quite devastating for mm. them in that, in that time of their life. The idea of making it a habit to, I mean, even just you talking about it just then was like, and I'm, you know, someone, I, at one point I got diagnosed with social anxiety. I'm like, what do you mean? I've got to talk to someone at a party. Yeah. Like I might yep. then have them over to my house at some point and they yeah. could end up being my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's terrifying, man. That's scary. Yeah. But you're saying if I want the best health outcomes, that's yeah. the path forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and also I think knowing why it's scary, knowing that it's triggering something in your brain that shouldn't be being triggered and then you can work on it as opposed to just ignoring it. Yeah, I think that's important. And then I guess the other thing is that generation of men didn't have to work because they, they always had the club. They had the, mm. the idea was you'd just go and you'd hang out and, and you know, you'd have a few drinks and, and they just, you had that sense of connections. And for, because a lot of those things have gone by the wayside, I think they've probably suffered more than mm. most because the women of that generation weren't relying on the club as much as their own network that they were kind of building and making connections and being friends with and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, look, I, I, I'm optimistic that our generation will be better, but I also think there'll still be people left behind. Right. So it's, uh, it's important to make it a habit now, I guess. It is. I mean, in your case, when you said the social anxiety, I mean, you obviously project as someone who is quite confident in social situations. That My sort defense of stuff. mechanism, mate. Come on. No, I know. I get it. No, <laughs> I totally get it. Uh, and I know a bunch of people like that, actually. Um, but what did you do? How did you find your journey through that to overcome it? What was most effective? Oh, exposure. Right. <laughs> exposure. I do it every day. I do exposure therapy every day. I hate it. But if I don't do it, it's worse. Right. Uh, the next time. So I have to do it. Because I had this conversation with my son on the trip. He's quite scared of spiders at the moment, but he used to be really scared of heights and he overcame that. And I was saying, well, I think you'll overcome the spiders thing, but you need to expose it. And he's like, oh, there's no way, Dad. I, I could do it a thousand times with spiders. I'm never going to overcome this thing. And I was like, it's not just the exposure. I think there's also a mindset you have to have. Like I'm, expo- I'm consciously exposing myself mm. and I'm being aware of what I'm going through yeah. and I'm mastering my – like I'm, I'm somehow being aware of it is important because if, if you just do it but you still find it pan- full of panic the whole time, then I'm not sure you do overcome it. Yeah, I mean, my case is, is it's not an arachnophobia thing. My case is something that, that involves a psychiatrist and a psychologist. But yeah, it, if once I turned it to the mindset of this is like going to the gym, this is like just if I hold yes. a heavy weight, my body will adapt. And yeah. then after a couple of weeks, this weight won't feel heavy anymore. And then, okay. I'm going to hold a heavier weight and then my yep. body will adapt. And then slowly, 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 very slowly, but sure enough, I become strong enough to be like, there's no way I could have ever lifted this when I first got here, but now look yep. at me. So same, same with the Great exposure analogy. stuff. That's the, It's the same stuff. It still hurts. Like, you know, I was doing chin-ups today. They still hurt. Yeah. But I can do more of them than I used to be able to do. Yeah. And that's, but that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, no, it's a great analogy, and and I think also the, the having someone to help you through it is having a guide yeah. or a, that's the one thing I would say uh, that I, I'm not convinced we've gone anywhere near solving is people's willingness to reach out for help, mm. whether it's loneliness isolation or anything like this. Having someone to help them through is really important. And, and again, we do this on Stitch. We try to get our existing members to reach out to new members to say, you know, I, I can help you through it, and uh, because knowing that you've got someone. I think is particularly when it comes to the social stuff, it's part of the answer. Whereas yeah. the feeling you've got to do it on your own, that can be really challenging. And none of us are alone. Mate, I'm so stoked to speak with you and I'm really grateful that someone like you is working so hard on a health issue that is only getting bigger in our community, but it's something that the solutions are, are right there. And uh, I'm really grateful that you're, you're trying to find them, man. Thanks heaps. Thanks, Osha. Look, and straight back at you. The stuff you cover is is very much in my wheelhouse. So <laughs> I, uh, uh, you've got a cheer squad over here. And that was Andrew Dowling. Uh, you can find out everything that he's working on. His current project is called WipeOutLoneliness.org. Well worth thinking about. 
uh, loneliness as itself or, you know, that project for you or the people in your life that might be concerned about, just kind of educate yourself around it and just keep an eye out because it's important. Big thank you to the people who have been wishing me well on email and on DMs and stuff like that. It's very nice. It's nice to get a couple of lovely DMs on IG, on Instagram earlier. Um, look, I'm great. I'm doing great. And like I said, it's not the pathway I thought, you know, we were going to walk, but where we're going is oh, so good compared to where I was. I'm great. I've got a crack team of healthcare professionals looking after me. I've got assisted living furniture on the way to my house as we speak. I've got a wife who's wonderfully taking this as a, a great reason to start getting started early on our home renovations and doing a bit of home demo while I'm out of the house. Good on you, love. <laughs> nothing I can do about it. There's certainly nothing I can do about it when I get back because I can't lift anything. So fucking knock yourself out while you knock those walls out, baby. Go for it. Um, look, it's going to be great. I'm going to be fine between my, my doctors and my care team I'm, I'm gonna be fine we planned to do this like right after all the tv stuff was done so i've still got work coming up and i've got a bunch of you know speaking gigs and things like that coming up between now and the end of the year like we planned all this stuff like i just need to only book stuff that i can do on crutches if i need to because we knew something like this might happen and it and it happens so we planned for it right so things are going to be great they're not going to look exactly like we thought they were going to look but they're going to end up great and i i have to tell you i know i keep saying it a couple of weeks back, we did a podcast with Lucy Easthope. She's a disaster planner. And far out, man, it was profound because that there's a few things that she said that have given me so much guidance through all this. Like you and I may not ever have to plan and, and help a community, you know, prepare for a natural disaster or, you know, cataclysmic terrorism event or, or something like that. We may never have to do that. But the way she spoke about being mindful of outcomes you don't expect and being ready for them and how that then changes your outcomes and go, oh, I know what to do now because I've got a plan. She said something amazing. She said, after a natural disaster or, or a you know, huge terrorism event or something terrible, she said, as long as people have a horizon to swim towards, she said, by and large, I found they're going to be okay. As long as you can tell people, this is where we're going. If you know the why, there's something Lane Beachley told me once, you know, if you know the why, the how figures itself out. So having that horizon to swim towards is now I've got this, oh my God, I know where I'm going now. Now, the horizon may have shifted a bit, the timeline may have shifted a bit, but that's fine. Now it's there. Now I've got it there and I can see it plain as day. The mental bandwidth that I have been using to deal with the uncertainty anxiety, you know, and constantly reframing the, as the pain sensations were pushing through my body and constantly bringing my, myself back into the moment, the amount of bandwidth that I was using to do that so I could be in the room, that's, that's all been freed up now. Honestly, I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm out at Uluru again, staring up at the night sky. There's just nothing but space. That's fucking, dude, it's so much. It's so quiet in my head for the first time in years, and it's amazing. I'll talk to you more about this as I know more, and as I've had a chance to process it a bit more, I'm kind of processing it out loud with you, but as I know more, I'll talk about it more, but goddamn, it's freaking, I'm compared to what I was, even just a week ago, I am doing fine. Oof. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Um, thanks to all the people at work to pull this show together. It was an odd one, so people did have to jump through a few hoops for this. So, Bruce Deal, thank you. Andy Ma, who edited this, thank you. Toe Hyder, who made all the music, thank you. Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of The Lot. You're amazing, Rachel. Uh, thank you for listening, because without you, I can't make a show. So, because you're listening to this on your phone or laptop or whatever in your car, doing whatever you do. If, if you don't listen to this, I can't do this. And I love doing this. So thank you. I'll see you on Wednesday. Sleep well. 
and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>